Father God, we are thankful for your word. We're thankful that we can um, learn from you. We're thankful that you speak to us. You have no obligation to open your mouth, but in your goodness, you you reveal yourself to us through your word, God. So I pray that at, today as we um, learn about how to interpret and how to study the Bible, I pray that your Holy Spirit would watch over us, that you would impress upon us the importance and the need to get into your word, God. So um, be with me, be with uh, everyone in this class. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Alrighty. So... I think the way that this is set up is um, a few weeks ago, Michael began this sermon series on the spiritual disciplines. So um, there were scripture reading, prayer, living community, evangelism, uh, mercy ministries, and today Michael will talk about worship. So uh, what we wanted to do was, Michael, uh, the two big, the, two of the biggest things were Bible study and prayer. So um, My, Michael and I switched role, switched. Um, Topics and last week he spoke on prayer because I preached on prayer a few weeks ago, and because Michael spoke on reading scripture uh, during service uh, a while ago, I get to talk about the more practical aspects of being in scripture. So what we're going to do today is we're going to uh, this is kind of, we're going to talk about how to study the Bible, how to interpret the Bible. There, I am teaching based on a couple assumptions. Number one is that we are assuming that the Bible is true. Um, and number two, that we're assuming that we all know that it's important to read the Bible. So I'm not going to go over why it's important to know those things. So what we're going to do today is we're going to talk about just the um, kind of the why, like the, the big picture, like why should we study and then how we should study. So let me start off with the purpose of reading scripture. And this is on the top of your sheet. Can I have a, a volunteer read Second Timothy 3? All right, so what do you guys see here? What's what's the purpose of uh, reading scripture based on these two verses? For instructions. For instruction? Thank you. What else? Training. Training, yep. I see a couple uh, toward the end. So they may be complete? Yeah. That the man of God may complete and equip for every good work. And this is the big thing. So all of us, we were, were um, in progress as we are growing in our faith. We're still, as much as it's happening, it's still, we're still incomplete. So in order for us to become whole, in order for us to become um, all that God has intended for us to be, it's we need to be in Scripture because this is how God speaks to us. This is how our character and our thoughts and actions are transformed is through scripture uh, so the second one first Corinthians can I have a volunteer for that thanks Linda now these things took place as examples for us that we might not desire evil as they did they were written down for our instruction on whom the end of the ages has come alrighty so uh, this is Paul talking about the things that were taken that, that have taken place. And they were, um, it's talking here, the purpose of scripture is that we would be instructed. So there's a, it's a very similar to what he writes, writes in Second Timothy is 
um, we are to learn. Um, this is not just to inspire us, but it's to instruct us. It's to kind of train and discipline our way of thinking and how we should live. And the last one, Romans 15, can I have a volunteer for that? Can I have a guy? John. Whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction. And All right. The big purpose here is that we might have hope. We read the scriptures to have hope. So if we feel hopeless as believers, where should we turn? We should turn to the scriptures. So it's not just a platitude. I mean, we, we it's not just, oh, you know, you should believe in God or you should trust in God more. Well, why should you do that? The scriptures tell you these are the reasons you have hope. These are the reasons you have hope. So these are the purposes of reading scripture. There are others, but these are um, some of the big ones. So before I go on, can I ask someone to turn the heater down? Is it kind of warm in here? Yeah, do you, do, thank you. All right, so um, the gift and application of scripture. So we're going to talk about four words that these are not, uh, not all these words are in the Bible, um, but they are, these are kind of the driving principles behind why, like how did God give us what we have? So the first one is this revelation. It says in Hebrews 1, Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. So God revealed himself. So Christianity is a is a faith that God speaks, where God speaks to us. Um, God reveals himself. This is one of the big things is we believe that God is a self-revealing God. God has no obligation to make himself known. But out of his goodness, he makes himself known. And how does he make himself known? Through the fathers and the prophets. Um, that's what it says in Hebrews. So God reveal, reveals himself. And this is how we have the Bible. God said, I'm not going to leave my people in darkness, so I'm going to give my people the scriptures right here. Um, the next one, inspiration. So we read this early, earlier, but all scripture is inspired by God. All scripture is inspired by God. And what that means is that... The words that are, are in our Bible were God inspired men to write these words. So it wasn't men's philosophizing. It wasn't them thinking, uh, well, this is what I know to be true, so I'm going to write it down and hope that people will read it. It's God, God chose these people to write his scriptures, and he inspired them through the Holy Spirit to write the words that are in the Bible. Um, illumination, this is where it gets to us specifically in 1 Corinthians, now we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, that we might understand the things freely given us by God. And what this means is this, that um, anyone can read the Bible, but to really understand what it's, what's at the heart of it requires something supernatural. And what I mean by, by that is we need the Holy Spirit to really understand what's in the Word. I, I, I don't know if you guys have... Um, in college, did you guys have any classes to talking about the Bible as literature? Some of you, some of you guys. Um, in when I was in college, I had a humanities course, and they talked about um, you know what the Bible is. They talked about the the value of Scripture as literature. They said uh, you know the Bible is a masterpiece. Um, the Bible has had such an influence on the Western world. But these are people that are not believers. They don't have the Holy Spirit working in them. So they will never understand what we as believers understand because the Holy Spirit needs to illuminate the meaning of the text. Okay? So that brings us to our last point, interpretation. 
In Second Peter, knowing this first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture comes from someone's own interpretation, for no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man. So what this is implying is that God has given us something to interpret. So we should interpret, we should go through the due diligence of learning what God is saying. Um, and this is, but but the uh, the things that are given to us in Scripture, these are not just people figuring out for themselves what God is saying, which is a really good thing because if man is telling other people, this is what I think is true, then that we're in trouble. What this scripture is implying is that God has given us uh, an objective truth and our job now as believers, because we have the word, because we have resources, we can interpret what the text is saying. So this is what we're going to focus on today. All right, so we've got revelation, inspiration, illumination, and interpretation. Any questions? Kind of tracking how that the, the the flow of that God reveals Himself, God inspires people to tell people um, through the Scriptures who He is. We've got the interpretation; it's the Holy Spirit coming in and telling us, revealing to us what is the meaning of the text. And then our job now today is to learn how to interpret the things that are in Scripture. All right, so um, now we're going to talk. We're going to go uh, a little bit technical. This is still pretty high level. Um, but I, I think I'm, uh, it, it's good for us to kind of know these basic principles of interpreting the Bible for ourselves. It's not just for uh, seminarians or professors or pastors. This is a privilege for all of us. So uh, I have a couple things written down. Everyone approaches scripture with biases. So some examples are personal experiences, culture, um, a prior understanding of, of what words and phrases mean. And have you guys ever been to or heard of churches that say, well, you know, we're not any particular denomination. We just teach the Bible. Have you guys heard that? It sounds really good. But then the thing is, everyone says that it doesn't really mean anything for anyone to say. We just teach the Bible because anyone who approaches scripture, they have their own preferences. They have things that they want the the text to mean. They have their own. They've been taught by other people. So everyone's going to come in with biases as they come to interpret the scripture okay so um so just to say that we teach the bible and that's enough that sounds great but it's a very generic kind of doesn't really mean anything so as we interpret things i have this written down the aim of interpretation is not to come up with a novel idea it's to get at the plain meaning of the text and I have a quote from a book that i'll recommend later correct interpretation brings relief to the mind as well as a prick to the heart so what this means is this. Um, w- there are people that will study the Bible and they'll say, wow, this stuff is like, I don't know of anyone else that, that teaches this sort of stuff. And they're really impressed by what they're able to do. Um, one of the principles of interpretation is if you're if you're coming up with something for the first time, um, if it sounds new to you, then you should be very suspicious of that because um, we we have a rich history of believers before us who have studied the scriptures and um, I'm pretty sure at this point everything that is to be known uh, is known Um, so I'll I'll give an example of um, some of this stuff later but um, yeah I'll leave it at that for now all right so let's talk about oh any questions before we go on any comments is there such thing as objective understanding of the bible or that's that's a really good question. Is there, yeah, is there is there such a thing as objective understanding of the of the Bible? I don't think there is. 
Um, therefore, our task is to get as close to an objective understanding as possible. But this is why, you know, um, we have so many people, so many believers that disagree on things in the Bible. And it's because they come from different traditions which inform their minds. So I don't know if there is such a thing as completely objective, a completely objective understanding. But if we're going to be faithful to the scriptures, we need to try to remove our biases and um, and whatever prejudices and, and, and whatever we think, how our perceived understanding, we need to kind of put those to the side and try to get at what the text really means. So to get at that, we have two things. So the task of interpretation. Have you guys ever heard this word exegesis? Uh, um, so what it means is this. I, I have it written in italics. Discovering the original intended meaning of a given text through careful systematic study. So the word exegesis comes from the Greek word, which means to draw out. So I want to, I see something, um, I want to draw out the, the meaning of it. I want to draw out everything that God is intending to say through it. So this is the, the job of, the task of exegesis. Um, things to consider who wrote the, who wrote the, the text, who the writer was writing to, what was the situation surrounding the writing of that text. Um, these are the things we look at to find out the intended meaning. So, for example, Paul wrote the epistles. Why did Paul write the epistles? Who was he writing them to? Um, what do we know from Paul's background? This all informs how we understand what Paul is trying to communicate to his audience. So, a few things here. Uh, An exegesis is something that we can all do. We we don't. It's okay if we don't have all the the, the fancy resources like commentaries or um, Bible dictionaries. Those are really good to have, and I think uh, we should all look into those things. But just for our sake right now, let's let's say that we only have the Bible. How should we approach it? So I have um, two po- two points and a few subpoints. Number one, read the text carefully. So we need to read the the verse in context. So we follow the author's train of thoughts. Um, we need to determine the meaning of the words used. So some words they mean some. They they they. Uh, it might seem obvious to us, but then for, there are some words in the English language where we only have one word to convey an idea, whereas in other languages, it, there might be two or three words to convey the idea, right? So uh, a classic example is the word love. In 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 uh, English, in the, in the English language, we have the word love, and that kind of covers a lot of stuff, but in the Greek, we have three words for love. At least three words. Number one is eros, which is the erotic love. Number two is agape, which is the um, divine love. And number three is phileo, which is the brotherly love. So we can hear, we can read the word love, but to really understand what the author is trying to convey, we want to find out what is he really trying to convey, not just my perceived understanding of the word. And number three, or um, C, know any references to other texts. So I don't know if you guys have your Bibles, but um, a lot of times you'll see, like in my Bible, there there are cross-reference verses, and some people have gone through the hard work of cross-referencing. You know, this verse says something, and there's another verse somewhere else in the Bible that says something similar. Or in the New Testament, in Hebrews, for example, it references the Old Testament a lot, so... If I'm reading through Hebrews, it's really important for me to have some understanding of the Old Testament references. 
right? And then uh, next, the next task of the exegesis, ask the right questions of the text. So the points here, who's the audience and what's their situation? What's the cultural and historical context? What's the literary context? So the genre, uh, the Psalms are poetry. The A lot of the books in the Old Testament are historical narrative. Um, there are the wisdom books like Proverbs. There are prophetic books like Daniel and Revelation, and there are the epistles like First and Second Corinthians and Galatians. So the genres, we have to pay attention to what the genres are saying. So I'll have an example here later on. I have this little table of mis- common mistakes people use, so we'll talk about why genre mad- matters. Um, and why, again, why does the author use the words or phrases he uses? So that's exegesis. Exegesis is drawing out the the meaning of the text. Okay, any questions there before we move on to hermeneutics? Okay, so the next task in in exege- in um, interpretation is this word hermeneutics, and hermeneutics is the science of interpretation or how we approach scripture. And this means the reader. This is the means by which the reader determines a text. So the difference between exegesis and hermeneutics is hermeneutics is the approach to approach to to studying the text. Exegesis is the actual um, nuts and bolts of, of pulling things apart. That, does that make sense? So hermeneutics is... Um, uh, everyone's going to come in with a hermeneutic. We all have a hermeneutic. So at Indelible Grace Church, we consider ourselves a reformed church. And the way we... That means that we believe um, certain things about God, certain things about salvation, certain things about the Bible... So we're coming in with an underst- a certain understanding of how to approach the text. There are others who believe there's um, people who are Arminian, people who don't believe that God is uh, completely sovereign over all things. So they're going to approach the text in a different manner. Uh, but the thing is, a lot of people put their hermeneutics before the exegesis. Hermeneutics means, and the, the way the reason why they do that is because they want to they want the text to say something which the text may not necessarily be saying. So if we're going to be faithful to to figure out what the text is saying, we want to go, to uh, use exegesis first, which is meaning which means that we try to go in as go in with as few biases as possible because our hermeneutic has biases. Okay? Um, so I have that that little note there. Any questions or comments at this point? Yes. Um, Wait. When you study the Bible, do you go through all of these? I well, uh, that's a good question. Um, these are general principles that when people like uh, Harry or myself or Michael, when we're putting together our sermons, um, these are general principles that we've we have. But um, we're actually going to go through a text together later, and I'll show you what I do when I put together my sermons. Um, but that's a really good question. These are, I mean, um, you. These are just general principles, and this is actually like a huge area of study. So um, you can look at the back later for some resources that can point you in this direction if you're interested. Good question. Any other questions before we move on? All right. So let me get to uh, – let me just spend a few minutes on this next page. So all of us have heard verses that people use all the time. And, and a lot of times, uh, especially if you see this in the media – um, or people, I mean, I'll give some examples, but there are mistakes that people make in interpreting scripture. So I have a list of nine common mistakes, and um, I'm going to go through them really quick, just so you can see 
how people can, you know, bring in their own prejudices and biases and make things mean what they want them to mean. So number one, interpret one piece of scripture in a way that contradicts another piece of scripture. So we have this classic example of Paul saying in Ephesians, we're saved not by works, but by grace. And James, it says in James 2.24, you see that a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. Are they saying contradictory things? And this is something that a lot of people have struggled with. Well, it seems like the Bible is contradicting itself. It seems like um, Paul says one thing, James says another. So what can you believe? What this is, this mistake that people make is that we don't look at the scripture as a whole. We don't, uh, even if you look at James, um, he, he will confirm again what what Paul says in Ephesians. And Paul also says right after that verse where he says we're not saved by works, he says, oh, by the way, um, if you're saved, works will come out. Um, so this is uh, one mistake, interpreting one piece of scripture in a way that contradicts another piece of scripture. A second way, a second mistake that we might make is this, interpreting a passage in a way that would not have made sense to the Bible's original audience. So one of the key principles of scripture interpretation is we want to find the plain meaning of the text. Use your common sense. What does it mean? So... Uh, for for example, in Revelation nine seven, there's this image of locusts that there are like horses prepared for battle, and in some circles, some um, they call they call themselves dispensationalists. Or you know, if you guys have watched the Left Behind series, this is a whole series based on a specific understanding of scripture, and their understanding is that one day the believers will be raptured. And there will be a tribulation, and there's going to be a millennium, and then the Antichrist is going to come, and there are there's going to be wars. And how do you make sense of Revelation? Who are these locusts? Well, they must be, and this was popular in the 70s and 80s, people said they must be Apache helicopters that are going to war. Uh, and people will read into this text what they think, well, this is what these things must mean. How do you make sense of uh, all these other things in Revelation or in these prophetic books? Um well, we don't want to guess at what they're saying if it didn't make sense to the original audience. Uh, the people reading Revelation in, in the early church, I don't think they were thinking of helicopters. Um, they were not thinking of tanks. Okay, So you don't want to uh, interpret a passage in a way that would, wouldn't make sense to the Bible's original audience because the Bible is timeless. Jeff? Do you, do you think that there could be a meaning for one people at one time? Yes, that's, yeah, and um, I don't want to take too long to go into that, but yeah, the the question is, is there, could there be one meaning to one people group, another to another group? So, for example, um, we have in the Old Testament examples like, um, there's an example of, um, in Isaiah 7, I think, um, where there's a promise of a son that's born to a virgin. So the readers of Isaiah back in those days, uh, this is... Uh, for this particular example, some people will say, actually, that prophecy was fulfilled back before Jesus was born. But it also happens to apply to um, the birth of Jesus. Um, I, th- I think that you, you could make the argument that it could have one meaning. It, I need to be careful what I'm saying because um, I don't want to inter- uh, contradict myself. But um, I think there are things that are written like specifically in the prophecy books yeah. that a lot of um, IGC's understanding is that those things ha- has ha- happened already, mm-hmm. um, 
but some people will say, well, um, it's actually referring to something that's going to happen in the future. Mm-hmm. Um, so it that seems like there's some prophecies that at the time that they were given were interpreted one way. Right. And then when Christ came, he took them and fulfilled them. Yeah, yeah. So that's um, that's a good point. Uh, Christ is the end point of Scripture and things that were fulfilled, prophecies that were given at one point were fulfilled in a fuller sense by Jesus. Um, and that's a, that's a larger topic. Um, so that's a good question, but my, my answer is yes, um, with an asterisk, just so we don't go off the, off the rails and speculate too much. That's a really good question. Thank you. Um, third mistake, interpret a passage without regard to its genre. So some parents will hold on to this passage. Train up a child in the way that he should go. Even when he is old, he will not depart from it. Well, this seems like a promise. If I do a good job raising my child, if I take him to church, if I teach him the scriptures, they are going to become a Christian and they're going to be faithful the rest of their lives. And as a lot of people know, a lot of parents know, this isn't always the case. You can do the best job ever at raising a child and that child can turn up, turn out to be a punk, right? But, and people will say, well, the Bible promised it. The Bible must not be true. Well, if we look at Proverbs, we look at the genre, the genre is, um, it's a wisdom book and it provides not promises, but principles. So Proverbs says, um, uh, someone might say, well, there's no way my child can't be saved because Proverbs 22 is always a promise. Um, actually for the genre dictates that the Proverbs are a wisdom, are a wisdom book and they provide principles, not promises. Okay. Um, fourth, interpret a passage in a way not held by anyone in church history. So have you guys heard of churches that say, well, if, if you're a Christian, um, you need to speak in tongues or in order to be a Christian, you need to speak in tongues. This is not, uh, this was not a position that was held until the 19th century. Um, which is really suspicious because why would, how, how is it that just in the 19th century, how, out of the blue, that this becomes something that's true? Um, so people will misinterpret a verse like Acts 24 where, you know, in the early church, the people that were filled with the Holy Spirit spoke in tongues. Well, believers are filled with the Holy Spirit. Why are you not speaking in tongues? Um, so this is a, a, another mistake that people might make. Something novel, a new idea, a unique idea. Always be suspicious of new ideas. Um, interpret a passage without looking at its context. So you guys have heard this passage like, that will say, well, um, the Bible is ridiculous because it says you shouldn't eat pork or you shouldn't wear clothes with mixed fibers or you shouldn't do this or that, right? We've all heard that. Um, it's because the people like to cherry pick verses and make them say something that they're not totally saying. You need to look at the whole context of what it's saying. Um, never check your fifth one. Never check your interpretation with others. Uh, I'm sorry, the sixth, sixth one. Delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your hearts. People think, well, um, I am trusting the Lord. I'm delighting myself in the Lord. And my ultimate desire is to have a family or my ultimate desire is to have such and such. And God isn't true to his promise because I've delighted myself in him and he hasn't given me the desire of my heart. This is where community becomes really important because community will tell you, no, actually what you're hoping for, what you desire for, that isn't a promise that God has necessarily made to you. Um, you might this, this this just might be your own personal idol, and you're you're saying, "Well, I want God to give me my idol." Um, 
Okay. Um, uh, number seven, interpret a passage in a way that justifies your own preferences. So an example, some, a lot of people will use verses to justify divorce or homosexuality or um, fill in the blank. And you can make the argument for these things, but then a lot of people will use scripture for their own preferences. So one of them is um, where, the, where sin increased grace abounded all the more. So that means if I really want to understand, if I really want to understand the grace of God, I should sin a lot, right? And Paul says, actually, right after these verses in Romans 6, he says, he says, um, in the strongest possible words, uh, the translation, uh, if we were to translate that, the Greek into, into English is, hell no. That's what he says. I've heard it um, uh, phrased, H-E double hockey sticks, no. Um, no, be, but there are people that will read just this passage and say, if you really want to experience the grace of God, then I should sin. That way I'll know the grace of God in full. Um, because people will find ways to, ju- you can, you can look at the Bible and you can justify anything you do if you really wanted to, if you really want to tr- twist the words. Um, next one, build major doctrines, teachings from obscure passages. So who remembers the prayer of Jabez? You guys remember like 15 years ago, there was this really popular book. It sold tens of millions of books. And it was written by a guy who found this verse in First Chronicles by a guy named Jabez. And he's only mentioned in First Chronicles who prayed this prayer. And he wrote a whole book on, on this prayer. And a lot of people claim the prayer. And this is a, a, an actual quote from the book. I want to teach you a prayer that God always answers. I believe it contains the key to a life extraordinary. A life of extraordinary favor with God. Um, this is a guy that found one verse, and he he wrote a whole book out of it. And a lot of people have read the book, and it was a huge deal back in the evangelical world years ago. But this is something that we don't want to do. And um, last one, read your presuppositions onto the text. So First um, Timothy, I do not permit a woman to teach or to exercise authority over a man. Rather, she is to remain quiet. And some people will take the, this passage and say, I don't believe in this this biblical idea of a woman keeping quiet in the church. I don't believe in uh, the gender roles that the church traditionally has held to. So therefore, whoever wrote this, this passage, uh, they must be unenlightened. The Bible can't be true because it's such an antiquated view. Um, you, uh, that's not something that we want to hold to. So these are some of the mistakes that people make in interpreting scripture or more specifically misinterpreting scripture um, and there's a lot of misunderstanding that comes out because people don't hold to basic hermeneutical and exegetical principles um, any questions comments okay so now let's let's uh, do some of our own homework we have some commonly misinterpreted verses here so we all know this verse we've all heard this verse for I know the plans I have for you declares the Lord plans for welfare and not for evil to give you a future and a hope are we all, all are we all familiar with this verse and a lot of people have taken this verse as a promise without understanding the full context of it so the context of it is that this was written by the prophet to Israel and they were in exile and the promise was made to them saying, well, you're eventually going to come out of exile, but it's not going to happen for another 70 years. And a lot of the people that heard this promise never even lived long enough to see the promise come to fulfillment. 
And Christians, we hear this verse and we go, well, I'm thinking short term, like God is going to prosper me. So even though things are falling apart, I can hold on to this verse because God is going to, he's going to give me the job I want. He's going to give me the woman I want. He's going to, to fulfill my desires because this is what it means to be blessed. This is what it means to have a future and a hope. We're reading our own desires and wishes into the text. So the principle of this, of this verse is not, it's, it, it holds true. But a lot of people, they think, well, they, they kind of take it as their own, with their own understanding of what a future, their own future and hope means. Um, so it's a great verse. Um, it's worth memorizing, but understand the context. Um, another one, for where two or three are gathered in my name, there I am among them. So you may have heard of groups that say, um, because two or three, there are at least three people in this, in this space, um, it means that God is here working among us so we can start a church or this is what a church is. Have you guys heard that? Um, this verse was written in the context of judgments. This is Jesus telling his, his disciples, when you, uh, when you confront someone with their sin, um, you should bring two or three other people with you. Um, and this, and, and I'll be with you as this happens. But a lot, a lot of people claim this verse and they say, well, two or three people are here, and God is with us, so we can do our own worship service. And the principle is true on a larger scale, but people misuse this verse to justify whatever they are trying to communicate. Um, last one, Second Chronicles 7.14. This is really popular, especially if we have an evangelical candidate for the president, running for the presidency. They'll always, most of, a lot of time, they'll use this verse. Um if my people who are called by my name humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and heal their land. Have you guys heard this verse? Uh, this is actually, I think, um, the, uh, the the National Day of Prayer, which I think happens, it happened a little while ago. Um, the, the Christian leaders will always cite this verse. And if you guys have ever gone to see you at the poll, if you were in college or high school, and um, this is something that people will always quote. If my people call by my name will turn from their sins, I'll heal their land. Um, it's it's a great principle, but this isn't about American politics. And for the sake of time, I'm not going to go too far into it. But read the whole passage, and you'll see that the way that a lot of Christians use it in politics is completely wrong. Because it makes the assumption that God is, um, that God will do certain things in America, um, which is a lot of times not the case. Okay, so um, these are just some common misinterpretations. Any co- questions or comments before we move on? Alrighty, so with the last four or five minutes, we're going to go through an exercise in study and interpretation. So I chose this passage. Colossians 3, um, and let me uh, read it. If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things that are above, not on things that are on earth, for you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will also appear with him in glory. Alrighty, so... We may have heard this verse before. What does it mean? So let me walk you through what I do when I when I take apart a text. 
And um, the, these epistles, they're, it's a lot easier to take apart the text and see where they're going versus, you know, uh, we're going through First and Second Samuel right now in, in our sermon series. Um, because those are historical books, that's a, uh, it's more difficult to break it apart like this, like I am doing here. So just, um, that's just a disclaimer. So it's not always going to be this cut and dry. But this is something that I learned when I was in seminary. Um, a professor taught us, this is how you break down a passage. So what do we look for? So we're going to, we're going to break down the, the phrases of the, of the text. We're going to find, turn them into the smallest units that we can. So let me go through, um, number one with you. It's, um, if then, that's, that's a conditional statement, right? So that gives us a clue that Paul has said something before verse one. So in chapter two, Paul is saying something and maybe in chapter one as well. So that clues me in. It's telling me I need to understand what Paul has said in Colossians chapter one and chapter two. In order for me to get to this point, why does Paul say, if then? Another word that um, is a transitional word, a conditional word, therefore. And we have to ask ourselves, what is the therefore, therefore? Right? So um, so I'm going to go back and look at the text. So I know that in Colossians, it talks about the supremacy of Christ. Colossians talks about who Christ is and what he's done. It talks about what he's done to demonic powers. And this is in reference to the what was happening in the Colossian church so I'll talk about that a little bit later on but I know that in first and in the first and second chapters of Colossians Paul is talking about this is who Christ is that this is what he's done and verse 3 said I know and and I know not now because in this conditional statement Paul is transitioning to um this is how our life should look like in response or in because Christ has done these things. So look at the conditional statements. If then you have been raised with Christ. So this is something that is true of us. We've been raised by Christ. Paul says, this is true of you. Now do this. Um, 1B, the exhortation. Seek the things that are above. Seek the thing that things that are above. And there are descriptors in this sentence. One of them is the place Christ is above. Right? And where exactly is Christ? He is seated at the right hand of God. So do you see how I broke down that verse right there? So I'm, I'm breaking it down into small units and then I am adding descriptors to it. Um, verse 2, 2a. Another exhortation, another command from Paul. You've been raised by Christ, therefore set your mind on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. So Paul provides a contrast. Uh, Paul has talked about how things in chapters 1 and 2, how how Christ is superior, how Christ is supreme to all things on heaven or on earth, uh, in earth or heaven above. So here Paul is echoing some of the things he said in Colossians 1 and 2. Um, there are things on earth that we can get stuck on, but raise your minds to where Christ is. And why should we do that? Number one, we've been raised with Christ, but also this, 3a, for we have died. For we have died. So this is the basis for for the command. And because we've died, and because we've been raised with Christ, our life is hidden with Christ in God. So I've uh, I've bolded these two things: we've died, and your life is hidden with Christ in, with Christ in God. These are things that are true of us. Okay. So 
again, these are these provide the basis. These provide the um, the encouragement for us to follow these commands that Paul has given us. Okay, uh, move on to verse four. When Christ appears, so this is the time, um, and the, uh, Christ who is your life. So I broke up um, the first phrase in chapter four or in verse four. It's actually when Christ who is who is your life appears. But I uh, have in 4b, apposition. Apposition in grammatical terms just means this is providing a parallel or providing a descriptor for the subject. So Christ is our life. Then, after Christ, or when Christ appears, um, I know that this is a sequence, then you will also appear with him in glory. Then you will also appear with him in glory. So what is Paul trying to say in these four verses? And uh, I wish we had the time, but if I had the time, this is what I would have you guys do. I would give you guys five minutes to just go at this with a pen and paper and f- find out all the things you could find out. Um, and then we'd share our thoughts. And then I'd say, okay, 10 more minutes. You guys have 10 minutes to go deeper. And then we'd go share our ideas again. And then I'd say, you have another 20 minutes. You have another 20 minutes and dig even deeper and it's it, it sounds really exhausting, but the beautiful thing about scripture is there's so much because in this passage there are references to other books in the Bible. It references other passages in Colossians, and we can pull all these things. So uh, as I'm going through this process, for example, when I'm taking apart this verse, um, I, I didn't do this verse when I did the Colossians series over the summer, but. Um, but th- these are some of the questions I would ask myself. So going back to the exegetical and hermeneutical principles that I laid out, I'll ask these questions. Why did Paul write the book of Colossians? Who was a Colossian church? Um, what is a scriptural context? So I have some hints. I want to look at chapter 2. I want to look at chapter 1, verse 27, because it references some of the things in this passage. Um, what kind of imagery does this passage evoke? So just looking at it, just at a, at a cursory glance, I can... I can say that there is this imagery of life and death. Do you guys see that in the passage? There is the imagery of things that are on earth and things that are above. Do you see that? There, it talks about appearing with life in appearing with Christ in glory, um, and it, it talks about being hidden in Christ. Um, it's not hidden. Uh, I, I, I and I can explore what does it mean to be hidden in Christ, um, and. When it says that we'll appear with Christ in glory, we're going to appear with him in glory. We're not going to be beside him. We're not going to be um, uh, uh, in some other position. But we'll appear with Christ in glory, meaning that God's the glory of Christ will come through us at his appearing. Um, and if we were to stop and think about it, that would blow our minds. Because for all of us, one day... Christ is going to appear in glory, and it's going to be through you and me. That's insane. I would not have known that if I didn't take the time to study the scripture and going into this. So I have the privilege of, I get paid to sit around and just think about this. Um, But you also can do this. Um, You can spend an hour just doing this and breaking apart the passage, and uh, you can grow from it. Okay, any questions or comments before we close up? I think one thing that's helpful to know is that the, just on a very basic level, the more you read your Bible, the more you'll, the pieces will come together. Because like just looking at this passage, 
uh, as you read, like, um, um, uh, one of the Swedish verses, it already brings, kind of, uh, reminds me of other verses, like, uh, praying for it, like you're talking about, reminds me of Romans 8, and then all these other things that remind me of this passage and this passage, and, uh, the more you're able to, um, uh, read your Bible and understand, um, the different concepts and ideas, and, and it'll make just a, a smaller passage of last year to read. Yeah. Like, oh, it reminds me of this and this and this. Yeah. Um, yeah, so so if you can't do anything else, just read your Bible broadly yeah. and a lot. Um, and yeah, I think one thing that's helped me is to uh, read a read a chapter or two, um, or even a book of the Bible, uh, months at a time, and then uh, you really get to um, uh, pick out a lot of the little things that you wouldn't normally see if you just read it uh, just quickly. Yeah. Um, and so yeah, those are some of the uh, easier basic things to do to have a better understanding of scripture as opposed to like being stuck in like, oh, okay, what is this exegetical yeah. or meaningful thing? No. Harry's big on uh, the big big picture of the Bible, right? So you can talk to him if you have any questions and he has some resources he can connect you with. I have a quick question. Uh, how helpful do you think it is to like, after you're doing, like reading a passage like this, to look at like the Hebrew and the Greek? <laughs> it's helpful, but it takes um, effort to learn the languages um, because... And you can't look at something like Strong's commentary? You could. I mean, it, it is helpful because um, there there are things... Sometimes the, the, the words in the Hebrew or the Greek, the original languages, they're a lot stronger and more evocative than the English language. So I think it is helpful. And there are a lot of um, resources online where you can do that. The the prop the danger in that is is that um, a lot of people just take that and they kind of make it say what you want it to say. Um, so that's why you need to apply these other principles to it. Any other questions or thoughts? No, I just say um, sometimes when I'm doing the studies, like I'll read more than one translation. I'll read like the ESV, the NSAV, uh, NSAV, and and um, like the New King James Version because they translate each verse a little bit differently. And sometimes when you read it in one like, one translation, you're like, oh, that makes sense a certain way. But when you compare it to three different translations, mm-hmm. you'll kind of like, you'll take those three ideas and say, okay, what do they share? And that's probably the most accurate meaning. Yeah, yeah, that's good. Do, do you have any recommendations about, it? I imagine that you don't read this deeply every time you read. Sometimes maybe right. you do like, more of a survey, right? And then you go back and yeah. certain. Do you have any thoughts about that? Um, both are good. Uh, <laughs> I mean, this, all is good. Yeah, I, I mean, it, I mean, this takes like focus, like to break passages down. Um, if you have time to do it, do it. Um, th- there's both are good. I would say I, that doesn't answer your question, but um, if you if you have the desire to do this, then there are res- I have resources listed in the back, and these are some really good ones. Um, most of them are pretty, um, you don't need to be, they're not too technical. There are some that are kind of technical <laughs> here, but um, yeah, uh, if you want to read more deeply, definitely do it. Uh, if you're prefer- preparing like a study for small group, for example. I guess uh, just going off Tom's question, so if you don't have time, what's your recommendation? Oh, yeah, okay. If, if you don't have time, I'll just say read the scriptures and um, maybe on a higher level, um, that's that's what I would say. Other people would say something different, but that's what I would do. So, that's kind of a non-answer. Thank you. You can like 
narrow your focus, right? If you don't have time. Yeah, like I mean, like, yeah, what's, yeah, what some people do is, the, um, like, Christine, like, she has annual themes. And um, what's your theme this year, or like, last year? Yeah, like like New Heavens. Last year is New Heavens, New Earth, and then so she she read a book on heaven, and she she can pick passages uh, from the Bible that they're talking about the New Heavens, New Earth, and then you can focus it that way, um, or you could also do it just book by book and say like oh, I want to focus this month on Ephesians. Um, it's I, it's different for everyone. It's really what you want out of it. Yeah, I think I think also like just looking at the resources, it's, it's kind of like these are. Everyone that's reformed, and then so, so also we read widely. So, um, so you're not. I, I mean, looking at one of the mistakes that you have is to interpret a passage in a way that justifies your own preferences. And so some people come in with their, um, you know, if you're like a, a Keller fanboy or whatever, you're like, okay, everything that Keller says is right. Uh, rather than, than coming in with the Keller mindset, um, read, read read widely enough to know um, uh, know where you stand, rather than like, oh, I'm reformed, so I'm reading the Bible in a reformed way. Yeah. Awesome. Thank you all for your questions. You can talk to me later with, if you have more questions. But let me close with this image. Um, we have in uh, in Psalm 1, it talks about a tree that's planted by the water. And in due season, it, its fruits grow. And in our in front of our house, we have this apple pear tree, which last season, it's... Um, the, the stinking raccoons like ate like three quarters of of the um, of the of the pears, and because of the drought, it didn't produce that much fruit this season. Um, but just this like two days ago, I started seeing little buds on the on the branches, and um, one day those are going to turn to leaves, and they're gonna be fr- there's going to be fruit coming from it. And in the Christian life, there is a cycle. Sometimes we're not going to want to f- we're not going to feel like reading the scriptures. But the promise is stick to it and you're not going to see the results immediately. But maybe in 15 years, maybe in 20 years, something's going to come out of that and it's going to be so worth it. So that's my encouragement to you guys. Um, talk to me more if you have more questions, but we got to close up because of time. But let me um, pray. God, we thank you so much for your word and we pray that you would give us a heart to study it. And I pray that IGC would be a place where we just are, we crave your word and continue to teach us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.